Hi, this is Derek Hart, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I have got uh, a, just a great guest today, somebody I've known for some years, but I know today I'll learn even more. Uh, we will not even be able to unpack all the things that this guest has done. I've got Billy uh, Rios, and uh, we'll go through some of the highlights, but we will not be able to touch on all of it. Uh, but if you don't know Billy, he is, in addition to being a, a well-known contributor, longtime contributor to our field, he is a husband, he's a father, he's a military vet, he's a reservist, he's a current reservist in a command uh, position, we'll talk about that. He's a technologist, he's an author, he's an entrepreneur. Google called him a security ninja for some time period, we'll get to we'll talk about that. But also a snowboarder, and definitely a well-known researcher uh, in our space, uh, in the cybersecurity space. Uh, welcome to the show, Billy Rios. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, Billy, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. We've talked about it and uh, finally got the start to line for both of us. I'm a big fan of, uh, of your, your journey for lots of reasons. So first of all, thanks for all you do for the, for the, the community and for, uh, for us from a defense position as a longtime former active duty military and now active reservist. Uh, you know, I think of people reservists being part-time, but I know it's a lot, and especially in the role you're in. Um, so thanks for all that. Uh, we all benefit from that. Yeah, thank, um, you. thank you. Appreciate that. So let's talk, you know, I always ask where people come from. They say the superheroes of today, you know, at least have to include cybersecurity people like you. And um, all, all superheroes have a backstory. So where'd, uh, where'd you grow up? Kind of all over. My dad was in the Army. And so, you know, we moved every couple of years. And I, I think that it provided a foundation for me to, to get to know people quickly and make friends quickly in places that, you know, that you're new to. So, you know, I, I consider Washington State my home, you know, that's where I went to college. My dad was like my dad's last duty station. Uh, so I stayed there for quite a while. And, uh, and then from there, I went to the Marine Corps, which is more traveling, right? So, uh, so a little, little, little bit of all over, but if I had to call a place home, home station, probably Washington State. But I currently live in Colorado. I uh, love it out here. You know, we're in the middle of a snowstorm right now, but, um, I love the mountains, love the lakes out here, and love the outdoorsy stuff. So, you know, this may not be the same if you say where you spent the most time. What's your favorite place that you were on all that moving around? Is it also Pacific Northwest or is it somewhere else? I, I do love the Pacific Northwest, but if I had to pick one place as my favorite that I've been to, it's actually Tokyo. Love Tokyo, Japan. There's a lot of things there to love. I'm always excited to go back. I take my kids there whenever I can, they love it there too. So uh, kind of excited about going there now that they're kind of reopened. So, oh, which I left off your my introduction of you martial artist. Yeah, I think of Japan and I think of martial artists. <laughs> you do that too. I think you've got maybe more than one belt and more than one uh, art form, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Like the, I, I'm I'm training jujitsu now, like Brazilian jujitsu, I'm a brown belt. So I got one belt to go for black belt, and uh, I've actually trained out in Japan at some of the gyms out there. Some pretty tough tough folks out there. Yeah. So uh, take the train to the gym, work out, and then take the train back to the hotel. And uh, you're kind of in the corner, like in a little ball, and everyone's looking at you like, what happened to that guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of fun, definitely. Well, let's talk about, you said uh, Marine Corps. You know, I, I always ask, is there, was there any um, interest or intersection in your life prior to leaving home with technology? Was that something, that, you know, you had an early interest, or did that come later? No, I, I was always interested in technology. You know, did, I, was, I was actually doing a little bit of cybersecurity before I went active duty, like when I was in middle school and, uh, and in college. You know, and I, I talked to friends about it, like um, really kind of like my cybersecurity, you know, my entry into cybersecurity was actually hacking video games. I uh, didn't really think it was hacking at the time, but 
played a lot of like Dungeons and Dragons on the computer and wanted to figure out like how does the save game work and how do I get access to these like swords and these this armor that I can't find and how I modify my characters to kind of do things that they're not supposed to do and and really at the end of the day that's like you know modern day reverse engineering and, and kind of people would call that probably exploitation now right so um, but started that as kind of a young kid and definitely broke my my computer a couple times and had to figure out how to fix it. Um, and that revolves a lot of reverse engineering as well. So kind of those foundational skills like helped me later in life. And um, so by the time I went to the Marine Corps, I had a pretty solid foundation in, in technology and how things work, especially computers. So yeah, yeah, you know, probably similar era. Um, we, I was on a Commodore 64. It was all about getting the most from games and and getting getting games from different sources and. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hole punching the five and a half, uh, or the you know the larger disc size. <laughs> if, you, if you took a hole punch, it could be a, it was two sided because it was basically it was natively two sided, but the reader needed to know that it was two sided. So instead of buying a two sided disc, you just took a hole punch and did a little. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I love those yeah. days. Well, so why? Uh, what was the choice or process that led to uh, going from high school to Marine Corps? Uh, I actually had a Marine Corps scholarship, so four year national scholarship for ROTC. Uh, so it seemed like a natural choice. I actually had a, a, a Marine Corps scholarship and an Air Force scholarship. I went and I talked to the Air Force officer, and he was telling me about all the perks and how awesome it is to be an Air Force officer. And then, uh, and then I went and talked to the Marine Corps officer, and he was like, I don't think you're going to make it through officer candidate school, so you might as well just turn back now. And I'm like, who's this guy? <laughs> oh, so, God. Uh, the next thing I know, you know. <laughs> the next thing I know, I'm like in the Marine Corps ROTC program, uh, asking when I get my dress blues, which they won't give you, by the way, as a midshipman, you actually have to, you actually have to earn the title before you can wear the blues. And uh, I'm like, I gotta wait five years to wear the four years to wear this uniform. Are you kidding me, right? So, but um, it was a good choice. I met a lot of really interesting people there. Did a lot of really interesting things in the Marine Corps. Um, I, I'm still in contact with the folks that that I served with in the Marine Corps, and you know, the, the Marine Corps always has a special place in my heart. So, uh, I really, really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, well, um, a little bit ahead of you, but uh, I was uh, Navy ROTC, served along a lot of uh, Marine option, uh, you know, midshipmen. And then when I went in the Navy, I went in the amphib Navy, so giving rides to uh, yeah. Marine around the world. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah I was on a Navy ship for my uh, for some of my midshipmen cruises, and uh, it was definitely an experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, those were, those were. I remember them, remember them as well. So what uh, what you do uh, what you do in the in your in that stint? So what you do uh, for a four year commitment like most of us? Yeah, I had four year active duty commitment, a four year reserve commitment. So I was a uh, came out of the basic school, so every Marine officer is a Marine Corps you know rifle platoon commander. My first school is actually logistics landing force officer school, so I was a logistics officer, and then uh, they sent me to a uh, signals intelligence unit out in Hawaii. So tough duty out there, you know, like being a young single guy in Hawaii. So, but um, went out there, you know, was, was with the SIGINT unit deployed to Iraqi Freedom in 2003. So, you know, very formative kind of year for me. And then when I left active duty, I actually served in the Marine Corps Reserve uh, at Marfor Pak G2, which is another intelligence unit. So, uh, so even though my primary MOS was logistics, I, I've actually only served in intel units for the Marine Corps. So it's kind of weird. And I have a com com officer secondary. So, yeah, so kind of an interesting Marine Corps career, not typical, very difficult decision for me when I finished my active obligation to stay in and, or get out. You know, like I took a, a long time, actually a couple of weeks to try to decide on what I'm doing there. And 
uh, decided to get out, and that actually kind of launched my cybersecurity career. So uh, I, I think at the end of the day, it was a good choice for me. So. Yeah, and that's almost uh, 20 years ago that you're making that jump, if I'm not mistaken. So that's sort that's of that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I left active duty Marine Corps in 2004. So yeah, um, next year, next year will be 20 years from me leaving the Marine Corps, active duty Marine Corps. So and cybersecurity has been the focus of that of that 19 plus years. That's right. So when I left the Marine Corps, I went to work for DISA. And at the time, I was called a uh, intrusion detection analyst, incident handler. But nowadays, I think they call that hunt, right? So, but yeah, that was like my real, my first job out of the Marine Corps. I was in a network operations center. You know, I met some really interesting folks there. Some of those folks kind of shaped my my future, you know, but with just the advice that they gave me and the things that they helped me with. So always thankful, you know, to, to run into really good people like that that can help you kind of build, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. I should ask you, what did you study um, while you were a midshipman, you know, at the university? And where were you? Yeah, I was at the University of Washington. I studied business. So University of Washington has an amazing business school. And then I had a formal concentration in information systems. So kind of just aligned right into the technology interest there. And it's the Seattle area. So there's a lot of high tech companies even at that time. So it it was a good program, really good program. Thankful for it. Yeah. So you roll out of military and then DISA, and then it's, it's you know, Ernst & Young and VeriSign and Google and Microsoft, you know, and in the middle of that, you also, you, you go the entrepreneur route and you found a company. Let's talk about that. But of the companies you went and worked for, all obviously very recognizable companies and with more and more responsibility, any, any sort of highlights that you remember from those periods or recommendations you'd make to people, you know, sort of based on your own experience in those years that you'd make to make people earlier stage in, in their career path in our community? All amazing companies. The amazing thing I think, you know, from the companies that I worked with were the people. So uh, when I left this and went to Ernst and Young, I was shifting essentially from a defensive cyber operations role to like a more offensive cyber operations role, which is really what I loved. But there's there's really a partner at Ian Wise, his name is Jose Granado, uh, that kind of took me under his wing and just kind of showed me the ropes, not from a technical standpoint, but more from like a business standpoint. And how to be a leader, you know, at a place like E&Y in the corporate environment, just things to understand. And so, you know, he's passed away, but I, I still remember that guy. You know, I have I have things that of, of his I remember, um, and I think about him quite often, you know. So uh, when I was at Microsoft, had a really good boss, John Walton. You know, he's a, he's a vice president there now. You know, I was there as a security engineer. He was a manager. You know, we're both kind of coming up the ranks at Microsoft, but he helps me understand a lot of things about how Microsoft worked and, I'm on a product security team at the time. It's a different set of responsibilities when you're shipping software to 900 million users as an internet explorer and just having, you know, someone that you can go to as a mentor and help you kind of understand what you're dealing with there uh, was really good. You know, at Google, my, my boss there was the, the security princess. You know, she's still there. She's the vice president as well. Uh, Parissa, amazing manager, you know, just understanding kind of like, hey, you know, at the time, we're kind of in a role where we're doing a lot of research. And so you need some structure to the role, but you also need to give people kind of a wide berth to explore and be curious. You know, she was like, like the perfect manager to kind of find that right balance for those people. And then starting, you know, starting companies, is it's really hard, right? So uh, talking <laughs> to people like you and Mike Asante, you know, and there's like other leaders in the information security kind of industry that can help guide you and figure some of those things out. It's, it's, it's tough. It's, you know, I know a lot of folks kind of see it and go, oh, wow, I wish I could have that person's life or do the things that that person does. But um, there's a lot of behind the scenes, you know, work that has to go into it. And it's, it's not always 
feast, you know, there's some famine pieces to it that, that kind of get glossed over, but um, just kind of having those mentors there to help me figure those things out and guide me along. I always, I'll always remember those folks. Right. So I think that's what made those organizations special. Yeah. I think there's a, um, an unfortunate consequence of me knowing a lot about, you know, more about you than some of my guests and as many interesting things have you done, we, we can't do a four hour podcast. So I'm like, I got to pick and choose. <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of threads here. Offensive, defensive, consulting, military, very diverse. How big a deal yeah. you think of who you are today as a highly capable, you know, person in our industry is the fact that you were in all that, that many different kinds of roles versus let's say you've been at one you know, one of these companies, not knocking people who might be at one great, one of these great brands for many, many years, you're a product yeah. of a lot of different experiences. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and that shapes my perspective, right? So like I was a product security manager, right? For Internet Explorer. And uh, so I know what it's like to have bugs reported against my product. I know what it's like to have my product show up on CNN because of some security issue. I know exactly what that's like, you know, and um you know, being on the researcher side too, I know what it's like to drive that, you know, and cause that to happen, you know, and, you know, and as you're talking to the folks on the phone or however, via email, you know, I, I think I have a, a good insight into what their perspective is like, because you've been in that, you've been in those roles, right? So yeah, uh, it research, definitely shapes your perspective uh, for sure, research, right? So you have, you have empathy for the, the product owner. Yeah. <laughs> Not all researchers do. But you're like, there is yeah, no exactly. reality of being yeah. one of these product owners. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, I've been on that side. I've been yelled at by researchers. I've been the researcher yelling. I've been the guy doing driving the offensive operation. I've been the guy on the defensive side trying to stop it. It's all fun stuff. And I think that's what makes cybersecurity so interesting. You know, I, I, I'm a very much, you know, I, I very much have ADHD when it comes to certain things, but cybersecurity is just so broad, right? And I, I'm, I always look back and I'm always kind of surprised I'm not bored with it yet. You know, it still kind of excites me. And you know, it's still, still, it's still a passion of mine. So even after, you know, a couple of decades, so. So of, of all those experiences, the companies starting SpearPoint, you know, your own, um, is there any distinctive, like this was a big, this particular role, or while I was at this company, this thing that happened was really impactful to me. Anything like that you recall? There's a lot of moments that I think have been really impactful for me and just kind of been, you know, almost like hinge points in my life. Yeah. Um, I think the most recent one is like, you know, I had a company called Whitescope. I merged that with a longtime friend of mine, Jonathan Butts. And um, now we run a company called QED, QED Secure Solutions. And uh, I've been doing that for like the last like six years or seven years. It's been a while. And so um, I think over the last kind of like, you know, six or seven years working with Jonathan, I've probably grown the most out of any other time frame, you know. So um, really just kind of taking it from a one-man show company to two-person show company to now we have, you know, like engineers and payroll and healthcare and all this other stuff and, uh, you know, trying to figure out how do we sustain this company, not just for us, but for our employees, right? So um, it's definitely been a, a change. And then there's a lot of decisions that we have to have to make and we make these together, which is great about like, you know, do we grow into a hundred-person company? Do we try to take on certain projects? And even really kind of heart-wrenching things like, do we turn off certain customers just because, yeah. you know, they're expecting a lot and, and, you know, the risk versus reward is kind of not there anymore. So there's a lot, there's a lot that we had to kind of deal with over the last like five or six years. And I think when I look back at kind of all the things that have happened, when I see the kind of merging of the two companies, I see, I see that as like a really big growth point for me. So definitely. 
Yeah. Any any words to the wise? You know, you could take it two ways. Just something that occurs to you, or if you were talking to younger Billy, you know, 20 years ago, you know, we have people in the community that dream or at least think about um, forming their own company, and they may be currently yeah. employed, employed somewhere that's either stable or perceived to be stable, as the case can sometimes not be. Um, and they're thinking about you know doing their own thing. And you alluded to earlier, it's 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 not as exciting as it seems. It's not always exciting. Uh, I you know I can attest to that. Starting my first company in '97, I I've been on that same roller coaster, and it's a roller coaster. Is there anything you'd tell younger Billy or anybody contemplating that now, based on your experience? Yeah, I would say that, and I'm sure you you understand this very well. Um, there's gonna lo- there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna tell you what you should do, uh, but you're probably the only person that's gonna know what's best for your company, right? So. And, uh, you know, always welcome the advice, always welcome folks to kind of provide their perspective. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're running a business, it's up to you to figure it out, right? So um, I, I would say, like, that's probably the one piece where you're going to get lots of advice. Most of it's not going to be relevant to what you're doing or what you want to do. That's okay, right? And so uh, it really is up to you on your shoulders to kind of make this work. And so, and I, I think that's the best part of it, right? Like, you are really responsible for the success or failure of the company. Um, and it, it's not easy, you know, it's just not, it's not an easy thing. And so that's what makes it, I think, even more rewarding when, when it kind of all works in the end. So, yeah, I, I thought of, you know, lots of things as you were mentioning that it's like, you have to almost be, to use steal from um, Star Trek, you know, be the Borg and, and assimilate all this different information. <laughs> and con- in the end, you got to make your own decision because there'll be people who subconsciously, they don't mean to under, undermine you or be negative, but they will be. There's people yeah, who will totally. intentionally try to be. There's people who just can't see the vision and there's people who might be right about aspects of that. So you want to listen, you know, and, and sort of absorb it, but you don't want to, yeah, you can't let a, a particular input uh, maybe, maybe take you off your, you know, off your vision or you want to be very, very thoughtful about that. And, but, but take yep. input from lots, from lots of places. Um, you're right. It's, it's a whole blizzard of experiences uh, with, with human beings around uh, doing your own, doing your own company and everybody's got an opinion. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. 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 But if, but if someone does decide to do it, you know, I, I would, I would definitely encourage it, trying it. It's, it's scary, you know, taking that first step, especially, but I can tell you, it's like, it's the most rewarding thing, you know, like the companies that I've worked with, you know, the Microsoft's the Google's of the world, just uh, those, I love those people. Uh, it would be hard for me to go back to like a just regular corporate job. You know, I think running, running businesses is kind of the way I want to, I want to work in the future just because it's so rewarding. It's hard, but it's really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. What can you tell me about today? What, what, uh, you know, what QED is, uh, is doing. It's QED Secure Solutions is the long name, right? Yeah. We, you know, we just refer to it as QED. So, yeah. you know, we've got seven engineers. They're all kind of handpicked folks that we've known for a long time. Um, it's, it's definitely different when it's just you or one other person kind of, you know, doing your thing as opposed to now you have a few folks and, you know, letting go of certain engagements and letting your engineers run those things and handing off accounts to them so they can kind of care and feed that because we can't do everything by ourselves anymore. Um, really interesting. Uh, I can tell you that, you know, we're focused on systems like weapon systems, you know, system of systems, medical devices, things like that, complex systems. Um, it's a lot of fun and the demand, the demand signal is really high, right? So if you want to do work in that space, there's a lot of demand for it if you know what you're doing almost to the point where like our problem is not generating work it's figuring out what we want to work on which sounds like it's a easy problem but it's actually not it's really it's really hard but it's it's been a lot of fun you know so it's been it's been a lot of fun growing the company and and getting to where we are now right so 
um, when you look back at how much growth, it's it's pretty amazing. You know, like you can just have one or two people, you know, grow something like this in a in a couple of years, right? So it's pretty awesome. I can uh, definitely empathize with that the notion. It is there's nothing like it. It's your destiny, and you're you get your hands in it. What's QED yeah. stamp? It's Quadra Eric Demonstratum. For those of math geeks, you know that's what you would put at the end of a proof after you've proved it. You know, and so in, in Latin, it, it basically translates to that which has been proven. So I thought that was kind of a, a neat, you know, a neat name for the company there. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Some people uh, don't realize what the, the QED stands for, but uh, everyone in the company does. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's I, I love it. That's cool. I didn't know uh, until today. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about um, reserve duty. And today you're uh, you, you were in a unit for a long time at different levels of, of responsibility, and and then not terribly long ago you became the commander of the unit. Um, what mm -hmm. can you you know what, what's what's available to share about what you do there? I don't know how they made me the commander, <laughs> but uh, what's kind of amazing is um, I'm the commander of the 262 Cyber Operations Squadron. It's actually one of the premier cyber operations squadron in the Air National Guard, right? So, and uh, that's actually the first unit that I joined when I inter-service transferred out of the Marine Corps into the Air National Guard. So I'm technically an Air Force officer. Uh, my friends will never let me live that down. Of course, my Marine buddies will never let me live that down. I will say I do have my dress blues in my closet still. So if there's ever a Marine Corps birthday ball that breaks out, I'm, I'll be ready to go. Can't say that fits, but... Um, but um, what's kind of amazing is I joined that unit in 2009 as a captain and uh, just wanted to do, you know, ICS data research, which was the focus. Um, and so some folks from Microsoft that I was working with told me about the unit and, and uh, I showed them, like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Place. People here seem awesome. You know, and now here we are kind of full swing. I'm now the commander of that unit, you know, which is kind of surprising to me sometimes. So, uh, but it also lets me know that I'm the old guy now, right? So <laughs> I'm no longer, you know, Captain Billy Rios there just doing research. Um, I'm, now, I'm now, and now I'm now responsible for the entire squadron, right? And figuring out things like force management and how we promote officers and enlisted folks and making sure that they're taken care of and, and things like that, right? So um, it, it's an interesting challenge. It's definitely different than some of the other things that I do, but um, I actually love it at the end of the day, right? They're going out drill weekend and talking to those folks. I met you around 2009, so you would have just been, is that when you were just going there? Yeah, you know, okay. what's, you know what else is amazing is uh, the co-founder of the company, Jonathan, I actually met him through the Guard in 2009. So, yeah, so a lot, like I said, a lot of things just kind of came full circle and it's kind of amazing. So, and, um, and because of all the amazing things that have happened you know, with me and my Guard career, International Guard career, I kind of feel like I owe them, I owe them some, you know, and so and that's probably one of the reasons why I'm still doing it and, and while I'll finish out my command tour. So. so any words to the, the, the folks that are, you know, in military units about joining the commercial sector and what their opportunities are. There's some world-class training available. Obviously you're, you're highly involved in that as a, and an instructor have been for a long time. So we've got, you know, people in our community of 27,000 members that are active duty military folks and looking to how do we break, yep. in, how do I break into the industry? So what's your words yeah. of wisdom for, for those folks? I would say it's, it's a, when I transition out of the military, just transitioning out of the military into the civilian world, it's a pretty tall task. There's a lot that has to get done there. And it's a big shift 
in a lot of different ways, right? And so, and transitioning out of kind of military cyber into corporate cyber is very different as well. And so, but I think the one language that everyone speaks uh, and everyone knows very well is attitude. You know, like if you come into it with the right attitude uh, and, and you're ready to kind of do it, ready to learn things and just ready to be uh, a little humble uh, as your transition happens, people will definitely pick up on that, right? So I know that's something that I think about as a commander when we take new, new airmen into the unit. One of the big things that I'm looking at is, you know, obviously some technical skill, but the attitude of the airmen, right? And if there's any ever problems with the squadron, it almost always comes down to attitude. It's never a skill set thing or experience thing. It's always attitude. Same with the corporate world. Like having run, you know, two companies here, been been a tech lead at Google, being a program manager at Microsoft where you have some hiring influence. Attitude is super important, right? And so... Um, it's the one thing that you can definitely have full control over, you know, and as you do a big transition like that, you know, definitely make sure you have the best attitude presented for the folks that are, are looking at you. So. Uh, that's so solid gold advice. And you referenced something interesting. There's people leaving the military. Uh, what's the opportunity for pe technical people to join reserve units? Yeah, we, man, it's it's hard, right? So we were trying to, you know, I, we're near the Seattle area in the Pacific Northwest. There's a lot of high-tech companies out there. Microsoft's out there, Amazon's out there, Boeing's out there, um, and so Google's out there. And so we're trying to recruit these folks that have like very high, high levels of technical skill and get them into the military to help us do various, you know, cyber operations, really important missions. Like, um, you know, we, we, Washington State did the, the National Guard, their National Guard did the 2020 cyber protect, election cyber protect mission, right? So, um, and so there's like a lot of really important cybersecurity missions that we do. You know, we can't entice them with money. There's obviously a lot of bureaucracy, but we're trying to get them into the service role. Um, and so talking to them about the benefits of service and, and just kind of what we do and the importance of some of the missions that we take on, um, I think attracts a certain set of people, you know. And so, so if there are active duty people out there that are thinking about leaving the active duty, you don't have to end your military career just all up by transitioning to a civilian organization, you know. So... Um, you can go to a civilian organization and have the benefits of that civilian organization, whether it's pay or more flexibility, uh, but also do service at the same time. That's what I'm doing, right? So uh, it, it's it's a good thing to kind of have that balance. It might ease the transition for some people. And folks with technical knowledge that would like to have a sense of mission, uh, you know, and 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 access to some access to some pretty amazing training and and sort of real world operations can join. They don't have to have any previous military experience. Definitely. I, and I, I've seen it both ways. Like uh, I've seen folks who've been executives at these major like Fortune 500 companies and they come in on the guard UTA you know, period, the training period, and they just want to be operators. They don't want to, they don't want responsibility to manage people. They don't want any of that. They just want to come in and be operators. Uh, and I've seen the opposite as well. I've seen folks who are basically just in engineering roles, in individual contributors at major companies. And in the guards, they're essentially like senior leaders, right? And so um, some people essentially use the Air National Guard or Reserves to kind of fill that other piece that they don't have in their corporate world, right? So, um, and, and I think that's great. I think it's awesome for people to do that. And, and it's an international thing too, right? I mean, we have many, many members, 50 percent of our 27,000 are international. IW is being developed. Information warfare from the last time I saw something was over 100 countries are developing you know, developing capabilities that varies widely, but there's yeah. there's international opportunities to, to do this in other countries as well. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, even definitely. our our unit, we have a state partnership program uh, where we're partnered with you know various countries um, outside of the U.S. Obviously, and um, we help them with various things, right? So there's a lot of opportunity out there, especially if you have the right skills and attitude. I mean, the sky's the limit, definitely. Yeah. Let's switch hats to um, to researcher. Have you ever uh, yeah. ever found a vulnerability and reported it? Uh, once or twice, like, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I will tell you this, um, you know, after all these years, I still love doing research for some reason. And, um, you know, it's the one thing I would do, uh, even if no one paid me to do it, you know, and um, there was a lot, there's, I think, a couple years where, you know, you, I got some advice from some people and they're like, oh, man, maybe you should move away from the offensive world and move more towards defense and you can make a bigger impact if you're doing defensive stuff and offensive stuff. And, um, you know, I thought about that for a while and I realized like the research piece of it, I just love it as a person personally. Um, and so, you know, I kept doing it. You know, you, you listen to the advice and kind of think about what you want for your, your world. And, and I'm like, this, this is a real big part of who I am and kind of what I love and what my passions are in cybersecurity. I'm I'm still doing it, you know, um, and, that, and like I said, that's what I find to be a lot of fun. That's what I really love. Um, and so I would say to other folks out there, you know, if there's something that you really love doing in cybersecurity, don't worry about what other people are saying, whether it's impactful or you should do something. Like, just do what you love, you know, and, and it'll go a long way. And I think, you know, those research pieces and the research arms definitely have a big impact on our company and how we do it and the people that we hire. And so, you know, we, you can you can do what you love, you know, for your for your work, right? So, uh, and I always look back at some of the early years of of doing research and kind of how we did things and people that I worked with, you know, like Terry McCorkle and, and folks like that, you know, and it just it was so much fun, you know, um, when we were doing it kind of back then. So uh, I always look back at those times really really fondly. So ever ever had a um, a large medical device in your garage? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, in fact, like it's to the point now where I want to do more research, so I order things, and so I have all these devices that I haven't actually looked at because um, we're looking at stuff, you know, for clients and things like that, and that kind of takes priority. And um, every once in a while, I'll find some device I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to look at this thing. I want to, I want to, you know, figure out how this thing works. And so, um, definitely have a lot of devices in the garage still. Yeah. <laughs> I remember some some stories. Uh... Uh, back in the, like you mentioned, Terry McCorkle, I think I met met the two of you at the same time, and um, yeah. those were those were some fun stories about what was in the garage at those times. Any advice, <laughs> you know, on the serious side for for researchers? You've learned a lot, and I know uh, I know you've learned sometimes pain some painful lessons about how to how to be in that role. Um, it causes mm -hmm. anxiety for other people, <laughs> and um, any advice yeah. for people that are wanting to do it or that are into it from your, you know long years of being in that, having that part of your dimension, you know, going. Yeah. I, I would say um, the one thing about being a researcher that's both really awesome and really scary is that you have a lot of power. And so, you know, you can dedicate or devote yourself to doing research on specific systems and eventually you'll find something that's really interesting that a lot of people will be very interested in. And when I say a lot of people, like people who do offensive operations might be interested in it. Obviously, the people who do defensive operations will want to know the details of what your research kind of entails. Uh, media will be interested in. There's conference circuits. So, like, you'll have a lot of opportunity uh, based on kind of the research that you do. Uh, just be smart with it, you know. So um, that with that power 
comes a lot of, you know, potential to do good and a lot of potential to do a lot of damage, right? And so um, you could really damage an organization. You could really mess up a defensive cyber operations team's day, you know, for a month or six months or a really long time, you know? Um, and so, and sometimes that's needed to kind of shake or shock a system to get it moving, to get it going to where it needs to be. Uh, but sometimes it's not, you know, and so I can't tell you, you know, what the specific situation is going to be for any individual researcher out there. I can't tell them what the right answer is, but as long as they're cognizant that their actions are going to be amplified because of their research and they're smart about the way that they go about it, that's the advice that I would give them, just to kind of take some time to think about what's going to happen there. Um, I was always surprised, like, you know, when, especially a long time ago, me and Terry during research, you know, one news article just has such a huge ripple effect and it's just impacting so many people. And, you know, you're talking to folks who are responding to it and they're like, hey, man, we were dealing with that for six months, seven months, eight months, you know. And you're like, man, it didn't really have, it didn't really want that to happen to, you know, some, you know, engineers working on product security, you know. Um, at the same time, some of the research that we've done, a lot of really cool things, right? So um, I was just told recently that the FDA now has, you know, regulatory uh, authority and regulations in place for cybersecurity medical devices, whereas just a few years ago it was essentially guidance. Now they're regulatory requirements, and the FDA has authority to enforce that for medical device manufacturers. You know, when I think back uh, to when, you know, early medical device researchers which was which I was a part of. We we caused that, you know, like we we pushed that industry forward, um, and so that's kind of amazing too, right? So uh, you can do a lot of really scary things with research, and you can do a lot of really awesome things with research, right? And so just be aware um, that both sides exist, and, and and give some thought to that. So yeah, I, I you know it's funny. A lot of what I know about that arena is from you know whatever uh, fourteen years of hearing stories from you. And it always struck me or, or, you know, when I've talked about it now and said, this is what I understand from people like you, is that responsible disclosures involved with, you know, not going to the highest, loudest, most public. It's an escalation. And, it, and ultimately, if, 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 if the, you know, the owner of said product through many, many sort of responsible steps refuses to do anything, acknowledge yeah. anything and human life, let's say, is at stake, you, you, could, you could sort of escalate it and feel okay eventually with how it's disclosed, even though it might not be the way they wanted to disclose, but you give them the chance to do the right yeah. thing. There's, there's yeah. earlier steps. And I can just remember some things you talked about, you know, being ignored, but now that's changing. And, and, and some companies are becoming more mature saying, oh, we should probably not be offended that somebody's reached out to us. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I'll, I'll also add like, um, you know, as a researcher, you're not going to make everyone happy. You know, um, I don't think there was a single instance where we worked closely with manufacturers or close, worked closely with the regulator or just went full disclosure at some point, um, regardless of the situation or how we handled it, there's always someone that's going to be mad. Right. And so yes. you're going to have to be able to accept that and, and live with that as well. Right. So uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stakeholders, you know, in every industry, um, they're going to want you to deal with it a certain way. Ultimately you have control over what your research does or doesn't do. Um, and so it's, it's a lot of power. Right. And so, uh, just be careful with it. Just be very careful with it. So. Yeah, isn't there a Spider-Man quote that's perfect for this? <laughs> I think there is, power, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> and I love Spider-Man too, so yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Well, Billy, what, what are you excited about looking ahead? Um, you know, if there's anybody who is professionally involved in look, sort of looking ahead, 
well, what are you excited about? We, we get a lot of questions around, you know, new technologies and their application in the future. And, you know, what, what things do excite you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what we're focused on is systems. Like as a company, we're just focused on as much as we can, just systems. And um, the systems are becoming more integrated into our daily lives, right? So um, I know that, you know, long, a couple of years ago, we did some medical device research and, you know, uh, actually we did some device research, which ended up having us like hack a car wash. But um, I don't think people realize like how we got to the car wash in itself. We basically had three criteria for the research project that we wanted to do. One, it had to be accessible via the internet. Two, it had to be in a publicly accessible space, so not in a secure space or in a, a building that was locked or anything like that. And three, had to be able to, you know, exploitation of that system had to cause a safety event, right? And so connected to the internet in a public space and able to cause a safety event. And when we went through that kind of filtering process, there actually wasn't that many systems that met all three criteria. And so, but what, what we see now is that like more and more systems are starting to meet that criteria, right? So uh, obviously more things are getting connected to the internet. Um, now more of these connected systems are in public spaces and now more of them have the ability to cause some kind of safety incident, right? And so um, uh, what I'm thinking now is like, you know, obviously cybersecurity is a very important role. A lot of it has kind of been based on corporate cybersecurity where you're defending information, you're defending some business and their ability to kind of do business. But I, I think this is going to quickly shift into a public safety issue, right? Where cybersecurity exploits are going to have public safety implications. And so um, that's what I see kind of on a near term, medium term horizon. So. Yep. Um, that, that, uh, that genie's out of the bottle, is, uh, I think. And it's only going to become more, more of a conversation. Any particular technologies, uh, quantum, uh, you know, um, you know, AI, um, uh, machine learning, any of those um, do you see as like these are going to be, you know, sort of lines in the sand where things so something changes in our in our area? Yeah, I don't know if you yeah, uh, played around with like chat GPT, but um, yeah. that's some pretty scary stuff, right? So, yeah, I know the first time I was scared, you know, about AI was um, – I think Google is generating some AI. This is public, obviously, but Google is generating some AI. And uh, basically, to, one of the first challenges they had for the AI was to have it detect pictures of cats. So they would feed it, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of pictures and say, hey, tell us whether or not this picture has a cat in it. And, um, and so the AI engine is essentially training itself to figure this out. And at some point, I think one of the Google engineers, like, they identified some pictures of cats. We just don't know how it identified these pictures, right? And I'm like, wow, that's that's actually really scary uh, when you have the person who's essentially who, who has built this AI engine, and they can't tell you how the AI engine works, right? <laughs> so, so I'm like, man, that's kind of a scary moment. And um, when I see things like ChatGPT and, and folks using that and kind of things that they're making it do, uh, it's pretty amazing, right? So, and I, I have a feeling that like, um, you know, that's probably where the next generation of research is going to occur, right? Like. At this point, I'm the I'm the old guy, and you know I, I just can't keep up with the the young person's game, right? And um, so I can do device stuff, I can do system stuff, I can do a lot of really awesome engineer reverse engineering. But I think when it comes to these new technologies, you know, it's a young person's game. They're going to be able to to quickly surpass you know anything that we can do and my co-founder can do. So oh, awesome. Well, I'm uh, wrapping up with Billy Rios, co-founder of QED Secure Solutions, longtime contributor in this space. And a uh, great friend to CSA and CSA fellow. And, you know, Billy, thanks for, again, for everything you, you do for the industry, but also for, 
for at least for um, our country and in, in national security, um, there's a lot of time invested on everybody's behalf. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Good to, good to catch up. Definitely. Well, if you're ready, we'll end with uh, the uh, what's called the Pavot questionnaire, which I borrowed from a long-running TV show, The Inside the Actors Studio. The longtime host who has now passed on, James Lipton, asked all the famous actors and actresses you can think of for decades. He asked them the same 10 questions. He borrowed the show from a French show before that, hence the name Pavot. <laughs> uh, and so I'm going to ask you the exact same 10 questions to close out our time together. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's roll. What is your favorite word? My favorite word is intensity. What is your least favorite word? My least favorite word is passive. <laughs> what turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Being outside. What turns you off? Being cramped. <laughs> What is your favorite curse word? The F word. Just so powerful. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Um, I love the sound of wind, especially in the mountains when you're like by yourself hunting or you know on a on a hike. So. What sound or noise do you hate? Anything that's like repetitive and won't stop. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would, I would actually love to be an engineer who builds devices. If I had to like put the cybersecurity hat, you know, on the on the rack, that's what I would do. Actually, like build machines. What profession would you like to not do? I could never be an accountant. <laughs> and if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? We've got a bunch of devices I need you to look at. So. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Billy, for your time today and uh, for everything you do. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, thank you, Derek. It was great catching up. Yeah, take care. Be well. Yep.